HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Magnifico Radio, bringing you the latest in ethical fashion, clean beauty, and sustainable living. I'm your host, Kate Black, and this is Episode 5. Last year, Americans emptied their closets to the tune of 12.65 million tons of clothing and other textiles. That's the weight of about 35 Empire State buildings, and 85% of it wound up in landfills. Cities all over the world are scrambling to figure out what to do with textile waste. But it's not just the waste you and I are making. Fashion brands also have textile waste. And today's guest has launched a new business to help them keep their commercial or pre-consumer waste out of the landfill. Jessica Schreiber is a fashion waste expert and the founder of Fab Scrap, a new textile waste collection service for New York City designers and manufacturers. Welcome. Thank you. So can you explain why cities, New York in particular, need a service like Fab Scrap? Sure. Um, there's a hub of fashion creation here. There's a lot of manufacturers and designers, um, all of whom are creating textile waste every day, either in the fabric samples that they're getting, their mock-ups, their research of other lines, and then in the cuttings from the production of their garments. And there wasn't really an infrastructure for them to appropriately recycle that material. And so, because um, Tara St. James is a, a New York-based fashion designer, and she was on last week, and she said that 15% of, of everybody's textiles ends up on the cutting room floor just from laying out the pattern. So what does that mean for, like, a big brand? Like, do you have any numbers or any stats on kind of how much waste we're looking at? Sure. Um, one of the ways to look at it is for every pound of residential waste that's created, so think about your garment, Estimates um, the best estimate that I found is that 40 times as much waste is created in the production of that one pound. Um, so that means on the commercial side, there's potentially 40 times as much textile waste as what we're throwing out as 
residents of New York City. Oh no, I just got a really bad feeling because I share this thought all the time about 150 billion garments are being produced every year and, and kind of where we're at in the state of fashion. And so if it's 40 times as waste, that's that's actually really scary. And so when, um, so what does, what do cities do with residential or consumer waste? Like, so why are 85% of what we're taking out of our closet ending up in landfills? Sure. I think a lot of cities try to make it easy for residents to recycle if they want to. There's usually a significant thrift store network. Um, I used to work at the department of sanitation where we had the Refashion NYC program. We made it easy for people to donate from home by putting a donation bin in their laundry room or basement. So cities are really trying to target this. In New York City, it's 6% of the total waste stream is just textiles. So it would help them in their zero waste goals to collect more of it. I think some of the trouble comes from um, the convenience factor. It's really hard for people who don't have a car to haul big bags of clothing on the subway to a drop-off point. I think the other half of it is consumers and residents tend to judge their clothing. They think, oh, it's missing a button or it's slightly torn or there's a small stain, so they don't want to donate it, thinking that if it can't be reworn immediately, it has no value. And so, and what's the issue? Like, why is it a problem for textiles to end up in the landfill? There's a few things. Um, A, as a New York City resident, our tax dollars are paying to send this material to landfill. There's no landfills in the New York City area, so we are sending the waste by truck, by train, by boat to other landfills in other states, all at the cost of the taxpayer, to the tune of like $60 million a year. Um, So there's a cost to the city to do this. Environmentally, it's tons of weight going to landfill, where all of this fast fashion and clothing with unknown chemicals and dyes, all of that is leaching into waterways, water systems. Oh my goodness. And so with te- with FabScrap, you figured out a way to actually, because designers, like last week we had Tara, like some designers are really getting concerned about this, protect, particularly water streams and, and water tables. And so you figured out a way to help them kind of reshift where their textile waste is going. So can you talk about the process and, and what you're doing with FabScrap? Sure. So FabScrap is essentially the refashion program, but for businesses. So I provide designers with refillable bags. They fill the bags with any textile waste that they have. It could be headers, cuttings, mock-ups, um, dead stock. And I pick that up from them. And then I'm sorting by fiber type. Uh, most of it will be recycled Uh, either into insulation or there's really exciting fiber-to-fiber technologies that could turn it back into fabric. And then what can be reused, I'm making available to local artists, uh, fashion students, even other designers who want to incorporate a reuse or green element in their designs. And then I've heard that some designers are a little particular or a little precious about, you know, designs or textiles or, you know, some of that stuff is proprietary. So how do you, how does a designer, like, what do you do if it's, you know, a recognizable print from a recognizable designer? Yeah, there are proprietary concerns. Um, So the bags that I have, one is black and one is beige. Anything proprietary, whether by pattern or by logo, goes into the black bag. And that designates to me that it can be recycled only. So that means it's going to get shredded and turned into insulation, as opposed to anything in the beige bag, which if it's big enough pieces or at all interesting to a designer or fashion student, I make that available for reuse. So it's a way for brands to responsibly designate things for destruction 
um, and making sure it still gets recycled and not just sent to landfill or burned. Right. So even if they don't want anybody else to use it, they're like, that's mine. It still will kind of end up somewhere. And it's not just home insulation as well, right? Doesn't it end up in the automotive industry? And where else does all of those kind of scraps go? Yeah, it's. I'm always surprised at all of the places that I see the insulation show up. Um, home insulation's one. It's used in car doors. So if you were to rip open the metal from the inside of the car door, there's a layer of insulation there made from recycled fabric. I've seen it in the lining of mattresses, also in the lining of couches. So it's lining a bunch of furniture. Um, I've also seen it in carpet padding. So there's a ton of ways that this low-grade fiber mix that's been shredded from other textiles can be used. So that applies to us as well. Like even that holy sock that we're like, I don't want to donate this, but it, it still has a life. So who's doing that sorting? Can you, can you talk a little bit about like the behind the scenes of, sure. of recycling? Yeah, this is um, one of the most interesting things that I learned while working in both the pre-consumer and post-consumer world. Sorting of textiles is still done by hand, regardless of how much or what it is or where it's going. Someone is touching every single thing that's donated or recycled, which is crazy. Um, you think about plastic bottles that's now all happening optically. Well, 35 Empire State Buildings worth just in America alone. Totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. All still happening by hand. So um, I think as this recycling starts to take hold and, and really take off the first big innovation that's needed is some mechanization of that sorting process. Um, but things are sorted on the post-consumer side, meaning discarded by a resident or a family, it's been worn or it's been used. Things are first sorted there for quality. So um, when you donate it to a thrift store, they want to resell as much as they can. That's going to support their charitable mission and your money goes to support their work when they're able to resell it. If they can't resell it immediately in their thrift stores, maybe they'll do a buy the bag or a warehouse sale. If they can't resell it in any of those, it goes to a secondhand market where it's sorted again, uh, but not for quality this time, by item type. So they'll just create bales of women's dresses or bales of jeans. Um, for example, I know some who bale ugly Christmas sweaters so that they can sell to uglychristmassweaters.com. Um, and so that's sort of like the second secondhand market. Those are the big bales that you hear going overseas. And then anything that doesn't fit into first the quality or the item type, that is what's shredded and turned into insulation on the post-consumer side as well. But there's a couple layers of sorting and resell that happen before it reaches that point. On the post-consumer side, nobody really wants to buy little inch pieces or little scraps from the cutting room floor. And so I'm going immediately to the shredding and downcycling. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so what's your background? How did you end up as a textile waste expert? Um, I have always been interested in waste and trash and natu natural resource use. Uh, I got my master's from Columbia studying climate science and communication. I wanted to be able to take really complex biological and climatic issues and break that down into something that's digestible for people to understand. So that's sort of my background. At the time, uh, there was an adjunct professor at Columbia who worked at sanitation, and they were launching the refashion program, and I jumped at the chance to intern 
on that program. That's amazing. And I remember we talked a couple of years ago because I was trying to I was trying to figure out what to do when I first moved to New York with my own donations um, because it had been so easy in other cities that I'd lived in. And then I got here and exactly as you said, I didn't live close to a donation center. I couldn't actually find a charity um, thrift shop in my neighborhood. And but I saw these boxes on the corner. And so we had this conversation because I was like, oh, I love New York. These they have these drop boxes on every single corner. Can you um, enlighten people who live in New York and might be excited about those? What what really happens with those corner drop boxes? Sure. Um, you'll see a lot less of them. In 2015, they became illegal. Um, so sanitation has marked them as sidewalk obstructions. So you cannot put a donation bin, the big metal bins. They might be pink or Planet Aids, Bin Green. There's a bunch of brands that do this. Those actually can't go on public property anymore. And part of the reason is um, some of those brands and some of those boxes, while they may be reputable, a lot of them had no contact information, no way to know where it's going, no way to know what's in there, um, and there was no reporting of any of the tonnage that was moving through that system. A lot of times they weren't kept up, so they would just create a huge mess on the sidewalk. Um, so those are actually now illegal. Uh, sanitation will pick them up and hold them for 30 days in case someone wants to recover them. And then what's inside is sent to the refashion program and the boxes are scrap metaled through the recycling program in the city. So it's even more waste if, if you see them on the street corner. And so the city is just picking them up and taking them. Mm -hmm. And then, but there, there's another way that you can, cause now I've seen one in my neighborhood and I've seen it in the parking lot of the laundromat. Right. So if it's on private property, meaning the laundromat has sort of sponsored this, has said it's okay, they're going to maintain it. They're going to make sure that the company who owns it is using the material and servicing it often, that's fine. It's those public bins on like just a random sidewalk corner that are overflowing with stuff. And they're never really marked what they take. Sometimes there's like lamps and stuff or stuffed animals falling out of them. That's, that's what was the problem. Oh, I see. And so we've had a lot of conversation about spandex um, yes. and how, how it's problematic in, in almost everybody's post-consumer um, or in everybody's supply chain. What's the, what's the issue with spandex? The biggest issue with spandex is it's unable to be shredded and recycled. So um, the reason it can't be shredded is because the way that the fibers are made, they melt in the shredding process, and it's going to destroy all of the other fibers and, and the machinery that does the shredding if it were to go into the machine. So at least on the back end, on the recycling side, there's almost no option for spandex. I think there's a, a lot of people who are looking and... and there's really nothing to be done. So it's the material really that keeps you in, keeps together in for life, it, there's absolutely no kind of end of life solution. Not is, yet. Is there no. anything else in the marketplace that's like that? Um, spandex, lycraelastane, that stretchy uh, fiber, so far that's the only one that I found that can't be recycled into something else or at least, sh and it's because of the shredding issue. Right. Um, it's hard though. You know, athleisure is growing and booming and there's stretch in almost everything now and so it's really problematic from a supply chain point of view yeah. and so but that but still consumers should still put that into the chain right like they should put it into into the journey of recycling where where is it ending up definitely first anything that's at all still usable is going to be resold whether it's in the thrift store or it's in those secondhand markets and the even bales. spanks 
That I'm, I'm not sure about. <laughs> I don't. I don't see a lot of people recycling underwear. Um, there is a woman who does bra recycling and will take out the underwire and recycle that with metal and use some of the padding and carpet padding. But Spanx, I don't know. I don't know many thrift stores who are who are collecting old underwear. That might just be destined for eternity to landfill. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But all the athleisure, yoga pants, everything else, if it still has wear in it, it will probably end up somewhere being worn by somebody. Yeah. And then, so is, is there like a Spanx holder? Like is somebody, or not Spanx, sorry, spandex. I'm now getting the two of them. Yeah. Synonymous. Is, is there somewhere, like where do you send your, where do you send your, um, your, um, What's the, it called? the spandex? Spandex. I was yeah. going to say Spanx again. Where do you send spandex? Um, right now, that's just something that I include in the stats of what, unfortunately, we have to send to landfill. I try to promise as much as I can diversion, and so I'm reporting to designers exactly how much is being reused by students, what's going to recycling, and where and how. And right now, there's still some percentage that there's just no technology to totally respond for to. And so, unfortunately, it still goes to landfill. Which is sad and great at the same time, because it means that there's still room for a lot of innovation, especially in textiles. Definitely. Okay, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back. Perfect. And this one's called Wake Up by EULA. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. And we're back. You're listening to Magnifico Radio, and I'm Kate Black, and I'm sitting here with Jessica Schreiber, who's the founder of Fab Scrap, which is a new textile waste business here in New York. So, Jessica, when did the light bulb go off that Fab Scrap needed to exist? Um, while I was working at the Department of Sanitation, and I was running the refashion program and working with the nonprofits, it got to the point where almost once a week, a designer was emailing the refashion program asking if they could use the bins for their commercial textile waste. And unfortunately, the nonprofits, um, the way that they're set up, they take donations for free, hoping to resell things to cover their operations. When they're getting a bunch of scraps that they can't resell, it really hurts their sorting and and bottom line. So they were asking for us not to enroll designers. So here was this 
population of the commercial world who had this waste issue and really no infrastructure to respond to it. So that's where FabScrap stepped in. And and this is common across cities across the, the continent that really no sanitation department has kind of a commercial solution for designers or industry? That depends. Um, in New York City, the Department of Sanitation only services residential buildings. Uh, all commercial businesses are serviced by private waste haulers. Um, there's about 85 who service the businesses in New York City, only five or seven of them say that they take textiles, but if you ask what they do with them, there's not a lot of transparency there. In other cities, it depends on what their waste management system is. I know in San Francisco, it's all privatized, um, and so they service both commercial and residential, and so they might handle it differently. It's sort of city by city. And so it's really about resource um like diversion for you is really about resource recapture, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. I'm still, I'm still a little in awe about that four times the weight of 40. Oh, 40. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. And so if you think about like, yeah, so none of, none of what a designer has should be ending up in landfill. If, even if they're not using it, like there's still life there, there's still opportunity. Um, and so what's the uptake been for how long, when did you start the business? I opened the business in January, but I left my job at sanitation in June. So I've been fully launched, fully operational for only four months. Oh my goodness. And what's the response been like for, from manufacturing facilities here in New York? Sure. Um, pretty overwhelming. I mean, I knew there was interest given the people who had spoken to me while I was at sanitation. I'm currently serving almost 20 designers in the city. Oh my goodness. And I heard the business might get a little bit of a a hand um, along your journey because you're going to pitch to this season's fashion startup, which is a new reality show on Lifetime. Mm -hmm. What what is, I've seen the promos, but what is fashion startup? Sure. Um, It's Project Runway Fashion Startup, which will air Thursdays on Lifetime. Um, It's essentially Shark Tank and Project Runway had a baby. So it's... um, fashion companies pitching to investors in fashion and you either get a yes or no in the moment or they'll challenge you to go out and prove your business idea in New York City in the fashion world and then come back and recap and then you get your yes or no on investment. And did you do you have a, an advocate? Was Tim Gunn on there? Is anybody <laughs> helping helping the contest? What are you contestants or participants? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, no. I went up there by myself and pitched Fab Scrap to this panel of really important experts in fashion in New York City. Um, Yeah, go big or go home. It was my first time pitching a business. This is my first business idea. But I felt really strongly that this was something that was missing and would be a vital service to fashion in New York City. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see it. Do you know when your episode is going to air? It's going to air November 17th. Oh, okay. Yeah, Okay. 10.30. Yay. So everybody, make sure you tune in. It's on Lifetime, right? Lifetime. Okay. And so is there anything in your in your family or anything in your background that's kind of led you to to move towards entrepreneurialism? Oh, man. Um, entrepre- entrepreneurialism, not so much. Uh, my family is mostly doctors and engineers. I think where that overlaps is um, a systems thinking like as a doctor, you're sort of looking at the system of the body and what's mis- what's wrong, where you can pinpoint problems. Um, waste is a system just like that. It's on the scale of a society instead of on the scale of an individual, but it's still a system and there's still a movement of materials and there's um, 
ways to pinpoint problems. And so I think that analytical systems view, I definitely got from my family. It's fascinating. And what's been the, what's been the biggest challenge? How, how are you liking self-employment? Oh, man. <laughs> what they say is true. Everything takes longer and costs more than you expect. <laughs> um, I've, I've sort of learned that things that I once saw is just like, I'm really interested in this. I'm going to do this personally are still productive for my work now. So I think happy hour with a contact or a really cool event, it's still productive for work. And so seeing those things as work and extending my work day to include all of those things, like just because I enjoy it doesn't mean it's not productive. And I think that was, that was a learning curve for me. That's so true. And, and if you really are passionate about what you're doing, then it doesn't really feel like work. That's right. what I find as well. Um, and so let me just ask you, what did, what did the experience at the Department of Sanitation, like how, how did that prepare you to move into the commercial side? Like what, where's the overlap of the way that the Department of Sanitation takes care of scraps versus the way that you take care of scraps? I think understanding the nonprofit structure was really important. Working on the refashion program, I was working with a lot of the nonprofits in the city. I did a curbside pilot with Goodwill. The refashion program partners with Housing Works. So understanding the nonprofit side of textile reuse was really vital for me in forming Fab Scrap. Also because I saw where there's sort of a breakdown. Right now, with the rise of fast fashion, the clothing that nonprofits are getting is going up in volume and down in quality. And so they're not able to resell as they used to. And so they're sort of struggling a little bit to adjust to this new waste stream. Um, and so I've sort of internalized that and flipped it where I'm giving away stuff for free and there's a service charge. So it's the nonprofit model, but it's flipped a little bit. And that was something that I think I only could have seen having worked within that industry at sanitation. And so what are you giving away and how are, and who's kind of, who's going to be able to access that? Yeah. Um, so my warehouse opens in November in Jamaica, Queens. I'm really excited. Uh, students, volunteers of any kind who want to reuse material, the way it'll work is if you come and help me sort all of the fabric from all of the designers, as you sort the beige bags, anything that you find that you like, you can keep for free. Um, so for fashion students, it's great. They'll get to tangibly see and touch and hold fashion waste as it relates to production. And then they'll also get this really high quality fabric for their projects and their designs and their sort of cre creative process. Um, otherwise, designers, local artists, they can all come sort of shop the scraps. And I'm still figuring out how that will work, but I, I want to move as much as I can back into reuse. And so how, because we're going to be on iTunes and Stitcher so people can listen to this months and years after today. Sure. Um, how are they going to be able to find you? Like, what's the best avenue if people are like, oh, I want to help sort? Definitely my website, uh, fabscrap.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at fab underscore scrap. Um, pretty available on all of those. It'll be me that you're talking to. If you fill out the contact form, I'll respond via my email, my Instagram, my Twitter. That's all instant response as much as possible so that people can make use of the scraps. And what do you, what, is there any sort of thing that you and I could say or any kind of way that we could kind of implore listeners to get over this 
whatever they feel about putting their clothes into the donation stream. Like, what, what do you think, how can we help them keep clothes out of landfill? The thing that I think is most important is everyone thinks fashion is very judgmental, but the best thing that you can do after you're done with your fashion is to not judge it. If it's missing a button, if it's stained, if it's ripped, don't judge your clothing, donate it. They'll go through those quality checks and they'll go through those item checks and make sure that it ends up in the best place possible. You just need to get it there. So regardless of what it is or if it's a little bit ripped or a little bit stained, don't judge it. Go ahead and donate it. And a lot of brands now are taking things back, right? Like I've seen H&M has take back boxes in their store. I think Ann Taylor now will send you a bag and you can just send them a bag of clothing. Have you seen any other really good take back programs? Um, Eileen Fisher does a great job. They only take back Eileen Fisher, but they will actually do repairs for you and return your items so you can even extend your own use of it. Um, and they'll also recover and resell things um, after they take them back. So Eileen Fisher does a great job. I think American Eagle attempted to do a take back program. I know at one point Gap tried with jeans, I think a couple years ago. Um, Madewell, I believe, is doing something with jeans and cotton. So people are starting to sort of tiptoe into that reuse. And actually, people, listeners, you could just ask your favorite brand, like, take, could you please take it back? Because then that would solve your problem. The next time you're in the store, you could just take what you, you could take what you wanted to get rid of and just drop it off while you were there. And that would make everybody's life a whole bunch easier. Um, I think we're almost out of time. So when your show airs, what's the future going to look like? Like where, where do you see Fab Scrap next year? Next year, I... There's 900 designers in New York City. I would love to be servicing a majority of them um, and giving away as much material as possible. I think in future years, once I'm sort of covering New York City, there's no reason that Fab Scrap couldn't also operate in L.A., in San Francisco, Toronto, Toronto, London, anywhere where there's a hub of design, anywhere that production is happening in fashion, there's got to be pre-consumer textile waste. And is there ever going to be an option where people don't have to come to the to the warehouse to, to get some of the scraps? Like, are you going to have an online option or how can people outside of New York take advantage of this great designer textiles? For some of the larger pieces, like anything that I get that's over a yard, um, I'm experimenting now with different platforms where I can make that available for extreme discounted price um, online. So that's going to develop as I get more fabric and, and I have more resources to post. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. And so where is the factory located? It's going to be in Jamaica, Queens, okay. New York. And it opens to the public in, in November. November. And you don't have to have any experience. You're going to teach people how to be a grader? Yes, there'll be a quick 10, 15 minute orientation. It's pretty easy. Most fabric samples are labeled. So you're just checking the label for fiber type and we'll sort by fiber type. Um, but even if the, but even if it's on bolts, like what, how large are the quantities that you're, that you're sorting? The bags that I get hold about 50 pounds. Um, I'm picking up between one to 10 bags per designer at this point. So I'm moving about 300, 400 pounds. Um, not bolts not included bolts obviously will be held aside for reuse but the smaller scraps any fabric samples most of them are labeled and so it's just a quick check of what they're made of oh that's gonna be so great crafters unite there's an opportunity at 
fab scrap warehouse for sure quilters too thank you so much jessica thank, thank you. you for coming i want to thank roberta's which is home of radio heritage radio network where you can find me each monday live at one o'clock and you can always listen to magnifico radio on itunes or stitcher and feel free to share with a friend please check out our blog or sign up for our newsletter at magnifico.com until next week Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.